Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit TobinBrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. It's made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well, today we're joined by a Port Adelaide legend. John Cahill won four flags, four best and fairest in a glittering 264-game playing career and then won an astonishing 10 flags in three separate stints as a coach of the same club in the Sandful. Known as Gentleman Jack, Cahill also served as Port Adelaide's inaugural AFL senior coach. He's an AFL and South Australian Hall of Famer, while Port Adelaide's best player each AFL season is, of course, awarded the John Cahill medal in his honour. Jack, hello. Thanks a lot for joining us. No trouble. Thank you. I did well to fit most of that in, didn't I? I mean, you, you can't get tired of hearing all that, can you? No, oh, I don't listen to that much, to be honest. No, but it's nice, isn't it, to, to have 14 premierships. I, I'm very happy about that. Oh, as you should be. It's a staggering <laughs> yeah. amount. I had, to, I had to double take it, to be honest. Well, I had a good story. I I was over, I think, two years ago. My my father and my uncle, Laurie Cale and, and Vin Cale, when they joined the war, they signed up for the war, they had to go to Melbourne to do their training and by Richmond. And Laurie Cale, Dad's younger brother, a couple of years younger, he won a premiership with Richmond. I think he only played five games, but he was very, very talented. Mm. And um, then they went off to the war to New Guinea. Yeah, right. Yeah, my grandfather was in New Guinea as well. And a lot of people listening this morning will have, will have a link to that, of course. For the younger generations listening this morning, John, and, and those unimportant, describe you in your playing prime, if we can dispense with modesty for a second. What, what sort of player were you, Jack? Uh, well, I, I had a hero... I, I actually lived in Adelaide. I lived just out of Adelaide, about 10 kilometres, and I went to CBC College, Christian Brothers, and twice a week I would stay with my aunt at the city itself. Because my father and uncle played for South Adelaide, I, I went there to watch Jimmy Dean. He was a McGarry medalist and a left footer. I was a left footer. And so I just um, tried to emulate everything Jimmy Dean did. And we had paddocks and we could kick in the streets and we could do all that years ago. And I loved it. I was Jimmy Dean. Got the ball, turn around, on your left, stab bang. Um, you know, he just narrated the whole game. And that's what we did when we were kids. So it started way back then. Uh, and then I played for South Adelaide. Because I stayed twice in the city a week, I put my address as Adelaide. And so I played for South Adelaide. I was 15 and won the McGarry medal for the under-17s, I suppose you call it. McCallum mm. medal, it mm. was called. Port Adelaide then saw that I lived in their area. And, and they knew the family history. So Foss Williams and Bob McLean came around home and they said, look, we want you to play for Port Adelaide. And I said, oh, no, I'd never play for Port Adelaide. I just love South Adelaide. That was in about uh, September. By February next year, I said to Dad, Dad, I just want to play football. He said, you want to play? You go down there. So I caught a bus to Albert and Oval, knocked on a tin shed, and a guy called Jack McCarthy was a coach, played with my uncle and, and father, and uh, he knew the history. He said, oh, we'd love to have you, John. So I just walked in there like that, played. Then at 16, won the under-19s, best and fairest. And the next year, I got picked up A grade 25. Now, he had because I'd won the previous four premierships, and... Um, 
I walked into the room. I was shy and introverted and all that. And there was a, one of the players, Chicken Hayes, he was a man, and I didn't know, walked into the room. He said, Johnny Gale, how good is it to have you? And I felt then I belonged, you know. It was just mm. so nice for someone to say something nice. And, and uh, I was very shy as a kid, yeah. Well, just on your characteristics as a player, and I don't want to embarrass you here, John, but from what I've read about you, quick, left-footed wingman, high leap, but also brilliant on the ground, enormously courageous, penetrating kick, but you could take a strong grab as well. How did I go? Uh, yeah, I had no fear. I, I don't ask me why. I never thought about it. But I did imagery way back then. You know, if I played a bad game, I would see myself playing well the following week. Go to bed at night, just see myself with some in- imagery. You don't hear much of it today. Yeah. But then on Friday before the game, I didn't think about it at all. I just rested. Never went out on a Friday night. And when we got Foss coach, she said, there's no sex Fridays. You know, well, I was only a young kid anyway. But after I got married, I don't think I ever had sex on a Friday night. So <laughs> it's a learning curve, you know. I was so disciplined. I loved every training session. If, if I had to say something to people today, if you love what you do, you'll be good at it. That's the bottom line. And I loved every training session. I'm 82 now. I run a gym at a college in Adelaide. Yeah. And yeah. I'm up at five every morning. I finish at nine. And then I'm back there at three o'clock in the afternoon. But I love what I do. So I'm so, my mother was like that. She, yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that. You're 82 years young, which people listening and not familiar with you would just be staggered to hear listening to you now. And and it's EFM Health Clubs, isn't it, that you bought into, I think, a little while ago. So you're up at the crack of dawn or even before that yep. and going again still in the afternoon. So what? that's great health, isn't it, mind and body? What what yes. keeps you going then, then Jack, with that? What, what well, keeps I, you going? I, I just love what I do. And as we get older, we get lazier. And what happens, your legs will go first. Mm. To all the people that are listening out there, your legs will go first. It'll be the hips or the knees or mainly the, the ankles and calves. And so if you can keep your legs reasonably strong, um, you know, do some squats, do some squat jumps, just to keep the blood circulating through your legs because we'll sit on a chair. Sit on a chair, try and do it one leg and you'll find you won't be able to do it one leg as you get older. When you're young, no trouble, but we lose the power in our legs and you really need to keep that power going as you get older. Mm. Just speaking of legs, did you have a right foot or you didn't need one? I was a left footer, but I was okay on the right foot. Was it a good kick? No, but uh, I could kick 30 or 40 metres with it. Did I use it a lot? No, because most of the players, like most players you coach, they're dopey at times, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they don't think enough, and, and I could turn on my left foot and, and get away with it most times. Yeah. But some of the smarter players woke up to that. Four kids of your own who will get to them all now. Yes. I mean, a lot of listeners will know some of your children because they've gone off and... Um, and had magnificent careers in their own right. Um, Darren, tennis followers will, will know and obviously know as a former player, more recently as a coach. And then you've got Scott, who was pretty handy as well with the racket, was he not, back in the day? Yeah, he was. Two of the boys were very good. Darren, at probably 12 or 14 years of age, was probably five in Australia, number five amongst the kids. Scott, who was younger, he was number one or two. He, he was brilliant, had a lot of power, mm. a double hand, backhand but he didn't have attitude. Darren had both, but Scott was just, uh, every day was Christmas Day to Scotty. You know, he just wanted to wake up and, and not really dedicate, Darren dedicated. Only twice ever did I cut across Darren. I, I never interfered with his coaching. He was in team, it was a little Catholic school team, Sacred Heart he went to, and it was the under-14s, I, I think, in West Beach, that's a suburb of Adelaide, and 8.30 was the state team coaching, so I got him down there about quarter past eight. Ten past nine, here's 40 minutes after the supposed to start. The coaches are laughing and carrying on, so I whistled out to Darren. I said, Darren, I said, we're going. 
He said, Dad, we, we haven't started. I said, that's why we're going. So I left him. I pulled him out of that squad. And the only other time he played in the morning with the school, Sacred Heart. And um, then we're driving across town. And he said, Dad, I feel a bit sick. So I stopped and he vomited. I said, now you feel better, mate, don't you? Good Port Adelaide attitude, see? <laughs> he said, no, no, I'm good. So he played against a guy in the afternoon anyway. And he missed a smash on the service line. And I was a typical ugly parent. On the way home, I said, you want to be a tennis player? And you missed the easiest shot in tennis. I said, a smash. I said, that was pathetic. And as it was, we our house, we had a tennis court and we had a swimming pool. So I didn't take any notice. I'm watching TV and I can hear this ball machine going for about two hours. He played that one shot for two hours. He was wow. so dedicated. I never, hardly ever saw him play a game because I didn't want to intimidate him. Uh, I wanted to stay out the way. And uh, he's been really brilliant all his life. We're very, very close. Even he's on the board at... Port Adelaide, which I think he's stupid for doing, but he's a he's a footy groupie. He loves it. <laughs> he does love it. And then you got Craig, who had his interests all together outside of sport, and then Julie, who was uh, who obviously had her links to netball. Yeah, she she was very good at netball, and she married a, a guy at Port Adelaide, Scott Hodges. He was a full forward, very uh-huh. talented, and um, they had a, a boy and a girl. And we went to the girl. She's lovely, and Charlie's her name. We drove to Narracourt on the weekend just to see. She wanted us to see her play netball. She was with the Thunderbirds here, very talented. And she's a coach and captain down there. Look, age, I I think she's about 25, but beautiful girl, you know, lovely nature. And if I could give you a tip, always knock around with nice people, you know, choose wisely. And I tell people in the gym that you can't beat nice people. So we drove all the way to Narracourt on the weekend and she loved it. I was a pop. I'm a pop. <laughs> how many how many grandkids are you up to here, John? Oh, we've well, got nine. Wow. I've got nine. Beautiful. But I love them. Our youngest one is three, and, and we'll pick her up this afternoon from play school or childcare. Yeah, so. yep. beautiful. You're with This Is Your Journey. It's brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. You can find them online, of course, at tobinbrothers.com.au. The, the beginning of John Cale's remarkable football journey is after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're chatting to Port Adelaide icon John Cahill. So, John, you touched on it in our first little segment there. Your relationship with the game, when and how did it start? What's your? If I was to ask you what your earliest football memory is, what would immediately come to mind? Right. Well, Dad came back from the war, and I'm talking in 1946 or something like that. He was then posted up to Aru to run the post office at Iru, that's in the Flinders Ranges, 160 miles from Adelaide, 300 kilometres, give or take. Um, and he was the coach, and they made him coach up there. I was only five or six at the time. And uh, while he was coaching, he'd take me with him. I'd climb trees. I, I loved egg. I loved birds. Always have. I've got finches at the moment. So I went bird nesting. While he was coaching football, I went bird nesting. <laughs> and I didn't really worry till I came to the city. About two years later, we went to a little school in Adelaide, a Catholic school, and I saw kids kicking footy. I thought, oh, I'd love that. I went straight over. And that's, what, that's where I really started. Yeah. And um, I, I, like a lot of the Indigenous kids, I, I've been up to Darwin a lot. They just have hand-eye, and I was lucky. I, I was gifted with good hand-eye control. You know, I controlled the ball, didn't control me. 
Yeah. So we all, at that age especially, and, and even years later, we play the game for one reason only, and that is because it's fun and we just love doing it. We enjoy yep. it. When when did it dawn on you, perhaps, John, that you had a gift um, that was going to take you a little bit further than just playing for enjoyment? Uh, I, I didn't really think about it going further. I just loved to play football. Mm. And so I, I played centre at South Adelaide, won the medal there, then went to Port Adelaide and in the under-19s, and I was two years younger than the other kids, but that didn't bother me. You know, age, I, I didn't think about age. And in Adelaide, we had a Sunday competition and it was normally um, league footballers waiting for a clearance from somewhere from A to B. It was a really good standard, mainly seconds players, A-grade players. And I was only 15 at the time and my dad said, no, you're not going to play in that. So it's about the only time I went against my father's wishes. I, I used to, in the morning, take my little kit bag up to the deli. It's only... 50 metres away on Tatlis Hill Road, one of the main roads. I took my kit bag up there, left all my footy gear there. My uncle would come along, say, 1 o'clock, and I'd jump on the back of his motorbike, and we'd go and I'd play for Calendilla. It was called Calendilla then. Really good grade of football. And that matured me, I think, to play against men, you know, bigger bodies. Yep. And as I said, I don't know why, but I had no fear. I didn't even think about it, to be honest. So your senior playing career at Port Adelaide ran from 58 to 73. and you, you Three, a, yes. Yep. So a premiership in your very next year after joining. So 59 and again in 63, yep. uh, 65 as well. There was a, a, a premiership, 62 yep. I left out. So yep. what stands out, John, or, or what memories come to mind easiest when we're talking about these glory days as a player? Okay, what can I remember? Uh, my first game, and I remember the guy I stood by the game, name of Hewitt. He got second best player. So I remember that. <laughs> I was a wingman, a left foot, but I had speed. My uncle, that Larry Cale, we had speed. He won the Bay Sheffield, which is like the stall gift in Melbourne. So we had speed. My mother was um, Adelaide Harriers, so it was just a gift. We had fast twitch fibres, I suppose. That's that's where it was the speed I had, but I, I really concentrated on... I had reasonably big hands for a, a five foot eleven guy. Collingwood six-footer, I suppose. Yeah. But... Um, I, I really, I didn't fumble much, and, and left foot, I was really good. Ben McKenna, just at the Hall of Fame just recently, he said, I'm the best left foot kick he's seen. How nice is that for a compliment? That's a great... Which is nice. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was good, but I practiced a lot. You know, I never complained. In all my career as a coach or a player, I never complained. If I got told to do something, I did it, but I, I just love what I did. So I might have butchered it earlier. It's 59, 62, 63, 65. Your premierships as a yep. player. You won four of them. Now, your son, Darren, we spoke about him earlier, John, was actually born on Sandful Grand Final Day, wasn't he? 1965, he, October 2. Yes. You didn't time, yep, that, you didn't time that too well, did you? No, I know. And and I didn't even get time to go and see before. I don't think he was born before uh, the game started. So I went to the game that I, I went to the hospital after. But... He's been terrific. You know, all the kids have been good, but his attitude was very similar to mine. He doesn't complain about anything. He works hard. He doesn't take shortcuts. And, uh, you know, he, he gives off a lot of confidence to people. So really pleased with the way he's grown up. And he's kept humble through it all. You know, yep. I, I like that. I like the humility part. Yeah, it's a big day for you. A premiership went over Sturt, of course, and uh, your son is born. I wanted to ask you about state games as well, John. I think you featured in 20, yep. 29 of these. Now, obviously something that you yes. were passionate about. I, I did. I, I didn't think about it, to be honest. And then in 59, uh, I played my first state game. And that was, a, I think it was Brendan Edwards or someone played for Hawthorne and a uh, really talented player. 
And then about a month later, we went over to Perth and played against Perth. And I got best player that day, which I didn't think about. But you look back now and you think, you know, that was nice, you know, to look back and think that you got best player in a state game. Yeah. That was that was really good. The state games I loved. I learned a lot from them. You know, the Victorians, they were the gurus. And I'd look up to them a lot. Um, did I think they were any better? No, I didn't. We had a self-belief and I try to give that to the players. I said, when you walk on the ground, look at your opponent and think to yourself, you can't beat me. I'm fitter than you. I'm mentally tougher than you. How are you going to beat me? And I think that's why we won. We lost 76. And I'll tell you the story there. I was, I will, when you come to coaching, I'll, I'll tell you about that. Mm-hmm. But that was my fault we lost that. I learned so much against the Victorian players. I, I thought they were the gurus. But also Western Australia had a lot of talented players, a lot of talented players. And, and I learned a lot from there. Um, did I go on the ground and think they were any better? I don't know why, mentally. Whether I look back now, and my dad was a good mentor. I didn't know that at the time. You know, He stayed in the background. He was humble. Um, but he to set good standards. And he said, you can do this. You can run a 450 seconds or whatever it was. And you know, he just gave me that belief and the confidence that I could do it. And as I look back now, later in life, I think, he was a really good mentor before his time without me knowing it. Do you pine for its return, state of origin footy, like so many others? Yeah, I do. I, I, I think the footballers miss out on a lot. You know, you, you earn a lot of respect for each other. You know, to stand someone that's so talented, and you don't get easy players in state games, and then you can swap your Guernsey, which I gave all mine away, but I wish I hadn't have. You can swap your Guernsey at the end of the game. And uh, Brian Dixon, we're, we're still good mates. You know, Hall of Fame and a lot of the ex-players that you you stood in those games were still really good friends. You know, Francis Burke, just a raw talent. And, you know, I, I look at these players and I think, how good were they? So I have a lot of respect for them. John, the circumstances behind your retirement, if I may ask, I have final season in 73. I mean, it looked as though you'd be, yep. the numbers suggest you were close to peak form. So 59 goals from a forward flank. I think Goal F. kicking in the God best and fairest. Well, so that is peak form. Okay, you're 33 or the better part of 33 years of age. Did you? Yep. I was going to ask, did you yep. retire too soon? No, Foss wanted me to go on, but I didn't. I'd had a groin injury the year before towards the end. And I thought I'd like to go out with respect. So I trained my heart, off, heart out over the summer and I won the best and fairest and I won the goal kicking from a half forward flank. So that was a good thing to go out on. And I said, no, I don't want to coach. So how it happened that I got coach, Foss went to the club and said, I've been offered a coaching job at West Adelaide and I've been offered this much. If you can't match it, I'm going. <laughs> because we hadn't won a premiership for eight or nine years, the club just Thanks, Foss. We've really appreciated it. And that was it. Mm. That was as clean as that. Then they approached me. They said, right, we'd like to have a talk to you about the coaching. I'd already pre-planned, you know. I didn't know where I would coach, but there were three brilliant coaches in Adelaide. There was Jack Odie, Foss Williams, Neil Curley. And so from Foss Williams, I took commitment, you know, courage, be courage, no hesitation, just hit the ball. And so that was that. And from Odie, I took the skill. He was very good at skill, you know. He he made sure their skills were spot on. And then from Curly, I took the leadership. He was a good motivator, you know. We can do this, we can do that. Yeah. Um, so I took a little piece from each coach. So in 74 and 75, we finished third. Just a game away from the grand final. In 76, we made the grand final. And I was really confident that we would win. And Odie, Jack Odie was a coach of Sturt. We were playing them anyway. They won. 
And why did they win? His approach during the week was better than mine. And he had the players believing more than I had my players believing. Because he said, look, how many of us have played in the grand final? And they had about eight or nine. And we only had one, I think, Russell Ebert. And and so their belief was better than, than I had approached. And, and we got smashed. Well, we didn't get smashed. We got beat. Anyway, I drove away that night and I thought, where did you go wrong? And I thought, Jack, you're a pleaser. You want to please people. So from now on, go with your gut instinct. So I made a vow that day that I would do it with gut instinct from then on. So the next year, 77, we won. We won the next 10 premierships or grand finals we're in. We didn't lose one. So it turned out well that I learnt the lesson early. You're with This Is Your Journey. It's brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. You can find them online, of course, at tobinbrothers.com.au. Well, as you just heard, John didn't mess around upon retirement. It was off with the boots into the coach's box. We've touched on it, but much, much more to come on his highly successful move into coaching is coming up next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with Port Adelaide great John Cahill. John, um, we were speaking about coaching philosophies, how you took a bit from him and took a bit from him. You were a, you were a bit it's obvious, really, but board, CEO, yep. everyone rowing in the same direction. Otherwise, you know, you're ultimately fighting a, a losing battle, aren't you? Well, if everyone's not on board, it's really hard. Now, I came from Port Adelaide where you had a committee. I think it was only eight people, but they were at training Everyone knew them. Then we had a guy called Bob McLean. He, he was before his time, and he was great. You know, he was, he was another mentor that I'd had. And then there was a coach. So you had a nice chain of command. You, you had the committee, you had the football manager, and you had the coach. That was it. And then the players did what the coach wanted. So it was a good chain of command. There was discipline right through, and everyone worked as a team. And we touched on it again before the break, but I guess the philosophies or the ideologies of how you should play the game as a player that you had, you know, the attacking instincts, the bowl play, did that translate into your coaching messaging as well as far as how you wanted your sides to perform on field? Yes, it did. We we had three non-negotiables. Win the 50-50. So you don't think much of that. You know, people might well, win the 50-50. But what it does, you don't hesitate. They know there's one rule. As a coach... I'm demanding the players to win the 50-50. So there's no hesitation. There's a fierce attack on the ball, and it does intimidate the opposition. So that was that was number one. Number two was turn around quick. Now, this is 15 years ago, right? Turn around quick. You have a look today. How many players get a kick, particularly from 40 to 60 metres out, and they turn their back on play? Mm. And Buddy, Buddy's one of the worst for doing it. Turns his back on play. You wouldn't last a Port Adelaide. All the teammates would be saying, turn around. You can give it to... Someone could be in the goal square on their own. So we had win the 50-50. Turn around quick. That was ready to be unselfish and give it off to someone. And the third one, when you tackle, look at the body. And even today, you see them throw an arm out. So that comes back to the coaching. So we had three philosophies. That was all. And we had all that, those successes behind those three philosophies. Some of the players you had as well. I mean, your brother Daryl, Brian Cunningham, Russell Ebert, Stephen Bomber-Clifford. Yep. Oh, we could go on all show about them. Some legends of the game, as, as history would determine in South Australia. Well, we had a lot. You, you had Ebert, Wanganeen, Abernathy, Bradley, mm. McLeod, Buckley. Anderson, 
Phillips, Cunningham, Daryl Cale. Yeah, there was, it went on and on and on, you know. What, what was it like coaching your but, brother, uh, John? Oh, he was different. He, he was a very good golfer. He was an Australian golfer. Yeah. So he he actually played Simpson Cup here. So he had a talent. It was okay. You know, it was okay. I I didn't have much of a problem. He, he didn't really embrace football the way I did, but he embraced golf more, and he was good at both. So, you know, with all those... They were all champions. I'm talking about your Eberts and your Buckleys and your yeah. Wanganines. They were champions, but they were all coachable. All coachable. All listen. Now, just the, as it was at the time, I think every Sunday you had the Channel 9 footy show there, didn't you, where you had all 10 of you Sandford coaches had to go into the studio and talk about the, the weekend's matches. So you're mixing and mingling there with legends of the game as well, your, your contemporaries in the coaches' box. Yep. Yeah. Um, I didn't like that. I, I really don't <laughs> like the media that much. I, I'm not <laughs> well, into the media. We've done well to I'm get you on there. in the background. <laughs> I know. I'm happy in the background, but because you rang and it was good and, and I thought that you'd approached it really well, I thought I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> Lindsay Head is a really good friend of mine. Lindsay and Jill, his wife, they'll drive to my place. I live at Glenelg by the beach and mm. they'll come up with me um, to the footy. We don't go to the footy that much now, but they, they love to come up and he's a really good friend. I'm still connected with the club. I'm fascinated by the two-year stint at Collingwood, just changing tack for a moment here yes. in the VFL. So yep. after your first stint at a uh, very successful stint at, uh, obviously, at Port Adelaide, you go to Collingwood. Now, you just missed finals yep. in your first year, and then you finished third. You played in the prelim, but you had some good players out injured at the time. So ultimately, 27 wins from 47 games. And then and then you went home. What, why was that? Right. I went home. Doug Thomas came about a month before the finals. And he said, are you enjoying it here? I said, look, the club is fantastic. I feel they weren't that talented. You know, we there was no change of command. There was no structure through the club. I had players just drop at my door, uh, training nights. Oh, I've just recruited this player for you. I've just recruited this player. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. That wouldn't happen at Port Adelaide. You'd go through the coach or the selection committee if we needed a player. But at Collingwood, there was no structure whatsoever. I feel it was really hard. And a lot of the players, keeping in mind that they sacked, they got Tommy Hafey sacked, terrific guy, terrific coach. They got him sacked halfway through the year. So it became about the players. And um, and so when I went there, this was all foreign to me. Terry Waters and Brian McKenzie, uh, they came out to Adelaide to recruit Greg Phillips. And while they were there, they're at my house. Um, they said, would you look at the coaching? I said, no, no, I'm happy where I am. Mm. I was going to coach Glenelg, actually, the next year. Mm. And uh, we'll come over. So they flew me over on the Monday. Uh, I would say 30% of those players wouldn't have made Port Adelaide's team. Keeping in mind, we won 70% of interstate games against um, teams that came to Adelaide to play Port Adelaide. We, we won about 70% of those. So I, I knew football. And you look at the players I've coached, you know good players. But... The Collingwood players, uh, I think because they had so many supporters, held them in high esteem, and some of them overrated themselves. But And you look at the Hall of Fame, there's not many that have made it to there. So I didn't complain. I, I didn't care what happened. If we lost, it was my fault. So I, I took all that on the chin. And then when we lost the preliminary final, as, as you said, we went from 10th to 3rd. I couldn't see them going any further off the field. They needed an Eddie Maguire to get there to straighten the whole club up and they needed a Lee Matthew, someone that would be ruthless and go, this is what it is. Um, so that's what it needed. And I couldn't see that happening. I love Collingwood. I love the supporters. 
Um, the administration could have been improved a lot. That that was the bottom line. But I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. So no regrets of not hanging around longer? No, persisting? not at all. No, no. I, if I'd stayed another year, we wouldn't have done any better. You, I have the best percentage win-loss since 82 of all the coaches. I didn't know that. And no. I don't look for that, but I'm... I'm just saying if you did your homework, yeah. I'm not saying you should, but I ended up with having the best percentage, which I didn't know, and I don't really care about that much, I suppose. You went back and, and went to West Adelaide, as you said. You did that because I think at the time Russell yep. Ebert was coaching Port. Now, he couldn't come back and just take Russ's job. No, I didn't even try to do that. I, I coached West Adelaide, and they, they were about eight the year before. We went straight up to third. And we got injuries again, preliminary final. Uh, and I'd had two years there. And then in 80, it was early, um, end of 87, mm. Russell had been coached there for five years and they hadn't done that well. And, you know, that just happens at times. And I was at West Adelaide. We'd finished our season. And Dave Boyd from Port Adelaide rang me. He said, look, have you got a, an hour? Can you come down for a talk? And I said, yeah, I'll come for a talk. I, I, I'd finished at West Adelaide. Not They hadn't renegotiated negotiated or anything. So I went down to Port Adelaide to the committee they, and they interviewed me. So I went back to West Adelaide then. An hour later, they rang again. Can you come back? So I went straight back and they said, right, we want you as coach for 88. You can't talk to anyone. This is confidential. It's in committee and it has to stay there. And so that was that. I didn't white-hand anyone. As I said before, I never applied for a job. I got approached all my career, which I've been fortunate that way. Um, so anyway, they appointed me that. Then Russell was a bit upset that he didn't get coach. Um, but we, we ended up really good friends, Russell and I. There was there was no angst there. Um, and I took over in 88, and we won the next three premierships, 88, 89, 90. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I was going to ask you about this second stint at, at Port Adelaide, and I'm not sure if this is what you recall most yep. fondly in terms of as good as it got in the coach's box. But you went, you came back and you won in 88, 89, 90, and then again 92, 94, 95. Six flags in the space of, yep. what is that, seven or eight seasons. An unbelievable run. <laughs> it was nice. I liked it. <laughs> oh, unbelievable. Um, yeah, but, but you have to have the players. You know, you have to have the players. Everyone has to be on side. We were like that. You know, I remember, and I talked to the players. I had a terrific rapport with the players, and you know, we'd be larrikins with each other. And I can remember. I always have the players in front of my eyes because some will get behind you and they don't listen. So I had this group in front of me and I could see they weren't listening. George Fiacci, Rowan Smith, Timmy Ginevra, they were laughing, carrying on. So I stopped talking and it was just silence. All of a sudden they looked around, they panicked. And I looked at Rowan and I said, what did I say? Anyway, he took me off word for word. I said, how'd you know that? He said, you said the same thing last week, but he's with a few more adjectives than it. <laughs> so, you know, I, I had a terrific rapport with them and, and they were good. And, and I really loved it. I was really respectful of all the support staff, you know, always made them feel welcome, always went up, asked how they're going, how's their wife or family going. So I, I made it a real warm environment. I tried to anyway. We're talking to John Cahill on This Is Your Journey. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. And the great John Cale is Port Adelaide Power, and it's inaugural AFL season. Was that special? Yep, it was special, you know. <laughs> 
let, let me just run you through. People have no idea. They, they see a coach and think, how glamorous is all that? They don't know what you go through. So they've sat me down with one. Now we think we'd like you to be our first AFL coach uh, premiership. They'd already appointed child. You can't do any of that. So you're going from part-time to full-time. No, no, no car yard involvement whatsoever. So you'll have to put someone else on there. Yeah. So there was a list of about four or five things. So I've listened to it. Oh, that's good. Okay. And I said, salary? Oh, same as you're on. <laughs> I said, no, hang on. And I've never, ever asked for a rise in my life. Let me tell you, I've never asked for an extension of a coach and I've never asked for a rise. But I just thought that, was, that wasn't right. And I said, no, that doesn't seem fair. You want me to go from part-time to full-time, can't go to the car yard, put another person on, and I'm only on the same salary as a part-time. I said, no. I said, let me ring around. Then they panicked. Oh, no, 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 no. What do you want? And I've never done it for money because I've done it right anyway. So I think it was about an extra 20 or 30 grand, which was nowhere near what the others were getting. But I was happy Mm. at that. Mm. And so that was that. Then we've got players from all over Australia. And keeping in mind, we ended up just percentage out of the top five or eight, whatever it was, just percentage out. So we've negotiated from all over Australia. We've got players there and we've been there a month and I thought we have to have a bonding session. So I've gone to a guy we got from the West Coast. I won't give you his name. Anyway, after after about a week or two there, I thought, this guy doesn't know this at all, come from the West Coast. They were the gurus at the time. And so I, I thought, Bugger this. Uh, I rang Mick Mulhouse. I said, Mick, who's this guy that's come over here? He said, look, he's, no, he's never worked for us. I think he's recruited the odd schoolboy or something like that. So that was that. Anyway, so I wanted this bonding thing. So I'd arrange. I had some friends 150 mile away at Port Broughton, a fishing place. And yeah. it was really good. So we had about 10 shacks organised. We had about six or eight boats, professional fishermen. Uh, we had all the food organised. I said, look, I want to take the players away for a weekend. Uh, we need it to bond. No, you can't do it. I said, what do you mean I can't do it? I said, we don't even know each other. No, we got no money and you can't do it. And I hold you responsible if there's any injury or whatever. I said, well, I'm going. So anyway, sometimes you have to, you yeah. know, we fish Friday, we fish Saturday. We got snapper, we got whiting, we got crabs. The professional fishermen cleaned everything, the crabs, the fish, filleted the lot. And they came back Sunday morning. We had the best time ever. And straight away, we were a team. How good was that? Ah, uh, good. I bet you're glad you... Now, why wouldn't you do it? Put the bit between the... why you wouldn't yeah, do it. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, you were ahead of your time in so many ways uh, in terms of the chemistry and the harmony and... Yeah. Uh, I don't know, pre-season uh, trips have been around forever and a day. Although it was a baptism of fire for you in some respects, John. Yep. That first game against Collingwood was a big loss at the MCG. Got smashed. Yeah. We got smashed. Fitter than he's ever been. Chips it in short to Curran, and the McBoys go forward. It's kicked to the pocket. Patterson, can he get his third? He's going to race in the goal. Oh, oh he's he gone too far. It's a three-boot third goal. Well played. Gee, they're finding all about it now as Francis finally gets clear to Primus. He can clear the ball. Poole goes in hard. A hand pass to Brewer. Here's a chance for their first goal in the AFL. Brewer. Yes. He's got it. Is Nathan Buckley. The mark is dropped down there by Mead. But Fabian Francis has got it. He belts it to the full forward area of the Ruckman fly. Over the back. Here's Heaver. That's his goal. Another goal. Well played, Brett Heaver. Now, Port have got it all covered uh, 60 metres from here, so Buckley's forced to go across the ground. And he finds Stephen Patterson, who drives it to the half-forward line. They should mark here, Collingwood. Yes, that was well done do. by Watson. Mark Richardson on the Paul Williams, who race in the goal and puts it through the middle. 
and I was really disappointed. You know, I wanted to do well against my old team. And anyway, it didn't matter. Within three games, we'd won our first game. We recovered from that. What's the next game? I'm trying to think the next game. What happened the next game? Anyway, within three games, we were each along in Adelaide. So yep. we recovered well, you know. It was, we, we were devastated. We lost that game by so much. And Collingwood played really well. And then the next game, we competed much better. And then, bang, we won our next game. It's a pack and rebound football by Port Power. Kicks the ball wide. Great play to Lockwood. They're killing the Cats. Wonderful kick to Brewer. So he's on 60, the lead is on, Cummings out in front, he's got it. A 45 degree angle, so plenty of goal space. The Raw tells it all. 13 possessions, back to Brown. Kicks back to Poole, the high fly is laid. Youngsters just come onto the ground. The kid from Kangaroo Island. Right on 50. Distance is there. This is a great kick. It's a pumping kick. So inside 50, Port Power, Franco with pace. It's a miracle start. I think won 10 or 11 for the season. Yeah, yeah. So you lost Collywood and then to Essendon, and then you broke through against Geelong at, at, at Footy Park in round three. And, and as you said, you were 10, 11 and a draw in year one and 9 and 12 and a draw in, in season two. Yep. What what are your impressions of the game today, John? I mean, I'm not sure how closely you follow it now. Well, what do you make of the modern game? Right. Um, how do I follow it? I, they handball too much and they kick and you watch this and I'm not critical of the game look there's nothing worse than an old coach or an old fella saying oh they don't play like they used to I'm not like that at all I can sit and see the benefits of it they, they are fitter they're stronger um, I, I cannot see for the life of me and keeping in mind I have a lot of accreditations you know in fitness and all that someone kicks a goal runs off the ground you can't tell me that's the working with all the ons and off the ground that doesn't work. The hardest two things in football to get is momentum and confidence. Mm. If you've got both those, don't make a change. I've been there where at the 15-minute mark, we had two ruck during my career, right, as a coach. And I, the first, Russell Johnson from Collingwood, we'd have him on 15 minutes, and we were doing really well. The other ruckman would stand up, I'd say, tell him to sit down. We're not ready. It's too hard to get confidence and momentum. So the, the full forward running off or the forward running off after a goal is a complete waste of time. They don't know what they're doing. And, uh, and I'll tell you why, because even a physio, burpees, right, in fitness, nearly every personal trainer does a burpees. They are unsafe. No one has had more more experience with burpees than I have from 15 years of age. So you're talking 65 years of burpees, right? I've seen back after back go. So any personal trainer that does a burpee doesn't know what he's doing. Mm. That's my opinion. And, and a physio, I was at a, a seminar in Melbourne, right? And, and the American guy was speaking, got up and spoke. Oh, look, I have four books out there. If you write a book, you must be a guru. Anyway, so he's got, I've got four books here. If you want to buy one on the outside. And burpees, he said, they're really safe. My friend is a physio and he told me they really, and I could have carved him up, but I didn't. I just kept quiet. And I thought to myself, you really don't know what you're talking about. So sometimes an accreditation doesn't make you really talented. Now, John, the modern day coach, I mean, do you shake your head at how yep. much pressure and scrutiny they're under? In, a, in a, obviously a professional sport and the relentless 
nature of it nowadays? Uh, no, I don't reckon it's any harder today. I, I know they, they probably get... See, all these stats, I, I, st- I sit there and I've played the game. I could not do every stat that these people do and do it successfully or do it, you know, that it's pretty right. Mm. And, and yet... I, I see on your talkback shows and that they're obsessed with some of these stats. Me, I, I can see the game. I can see whether they hesitate, whether they don't meet the 50-50 or whether they don't turn around quick enough, um, whether they don't tackle right, they don't look at the body instead of the ball. You know, I, I see all of that. And all these stats, I think they're over the top with stats and I think they kick too wide going forward. You kick to a lead going forward on the boundary line, you're one chance in five of kicking a goal. That's the stat. One chance in five, and yet you'll see it every week, and no coach tries to alter it. I'd, I'd kick to a 50-50 in the square. Yeah. There's still a 50-50 chance of getting it. Yeah, it's protecting the turnover is the phrase that you so often hear, that if they cook it there, then they can't defend it. Which yeah, is, um, yeah, you hear it. You hear yeah. all that. But the forwards have to chase, and you know some don't. Some run forward. Um, and the other thing I've found is that people that are obsessed with stats, and I'm talking players, they kick short, they run past, they want the handball back, they'll kick short. There is no power or penetration in their game. They don't go through a line. They don't hurt the opposition because they're obsessed with how many stats they get, and, and they lose all the power penetration in the game. John, before we let you go, who do you enjoy watching at the moment? When you are watching the game, I mean, who do you find yourself gravitating to just as a, a lover of the game? Is there any one individual that you just love watching at the moment? Uh, yeah, I, I like the Melbourne boys, you know. I, I, I like the midfielders in the Melbourne. They, yep. They're so courageous. They, look, I like them all. There's, there's not many I really don't like. Mm. I feel for David Noble, but he's got to be stronger. Would have I apologised to players? No. You have to demand sometimes. I don't, I don't know what he said, mm. but why, why would you apologise to a team if they're hesitating and they're not hitting the ball hard enough? Why don't you demand it? You know, they have to do that. There can't be any hesitation whatsoever. So, look, I know things have changed. Things have changed a hell of a lot. John, thanks so much for joining us today. I mean, your resume really really needs no further explanation. You had a stack of success as a player, even more as a coach, and you sit very comfortably in your halls of fame. Great to hear you living life to the fullest now too. Love the chat with you. and Well done on everything you've achieved, and thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks for the call. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91